0: What we're trying to do is just provide the resources efficient industry need to be able to be the sort of best custodians if you like of the sea we either provide skips or dumpy bags in harbours and do regular collections and it's kept literally as simple as that on the ground we have the ability now and the expertise to off a nationwide recycling scheme
1: so fathom's back and here we are with the second episode in the same week and we are staying with the subject of marine plastics, end-of-life gear, and applying a more circular approach. So on the back of speaking with Ian from Fishing Filaments earlier this week, I caught up with Rob Thompson, founder of Odyssey Innovation. And over the years, Rob has dovetailed in with the industry across the Southwest. And through Odyssey Innovation, he is working with the industry to put a system in place to recycle as much plastic waste as possible. And that could be anything from end-of-life gear, plastic recovered through the fishing for litter scheme, as well as anything else he and others find washed up or left on the coastline. Rob is also conducting some research, or he's part of a research team with Plymouth University, and that's through a project called Indigo. And Indigo is a cross-channel interreg initiative that is seeking to develop the first fishing gear that will have a controlled lifespan and actually be biodegradable in the marine environment. So There's a lot to pick up on in this this episode, and I won't keep you here any longer. Let's get into it. Over to Rob from Odyssey Innovation. First of all, I'll just welcome you on. We're in a second series of Fathom at the moment, and uh, we've done a lot last year, but uh, this year I think we've almost had entirely new guests onto the podcast, so it's good to have you on, Rob. But maybe before we get started, if people haven't haven't heard about you before, I'm sure most have in some sense or another. Maybe just give us a really quick intro into into Odyssey Innovation and where did you originally sort of intervene with the fishing fishing world fishing community?
0: Yeah, so I started in in um, 2014. That's when I first become aware, really, of the marine plastic issue. That's when it first kind of had an impact on me, I suppose. Um, and that was through my uh, hobby, which was diving and um, I was trying to find a a way of cleaning up one cave originally over at salos, which seemed to have a real problem with marine plastic. And through that, we ended up setting up a volunteer dive group. And it was all around recovery of marine plastic from shorelines, from reefs, from wrecks, those kind of things. I became frustrated at not being able to recycle this stuff, at finding all this waste. And um, I love the idea of treating waste as a resource, you know, especially coming from Cornwall, we're used to stuff washing up on our shores and seeing value in it. Um, and I didn't like the idea of sending it all to landfill. So I started originally just looking for recycling routes, realised that there wasn't really anything happening, and thought I would try and start establishing some routes ourselves um, and getting this waste back into the economy somehow. I realised very quickly that To do that, you need scale to create viable recycling routes. And I engaged some other NGOs and individuals to kind of recycle their material as well. So originally, it was very much a kind of beach clean, marine recovery focus. And once we'd sort of spent several months accumulating this stuff, we did realise that a fair percentage of it was fishing industry related. So I had to then try and find alternative recycling routes for, for that material because there wasn't anywhere in the UK capable of processing Um, that waste. And again, then I was into creating a whole new recycling route just for that particular material types, the nets and ropes, and needed scale. So our original outreach with the fishing community was purely around trying to increase our volumes and scalability to create a recycling route. And very quickly, once we started working with them, I was surprised to begin with that there wasn't already port reception facilities in place in harbours. To me, there should have been um, sustainable recycling options for the last 20 or 30 years. There hasn't been anything and it quickly dawned on me that that's probably the most valuable part of my work was actually to offer free recycling to the fishing community. They were massively lacking options to be sustainable when it came to dealing with the, the waste generated from fishing.
1: Like, like you say, you've been around since 2014, and I've been aware of your work for a few years and uh, seen some announcements through Seafish and Morrison's and people like that getting involved and investing in this. So it's really positive to see that, that the momentum's there. And, and I think you're right. It's, you know, there's other schemes or projects in fishing, like fishing for litter, you know, in terms of recovering plastics from sea, but it's that next step is what do we do with that plastic? What do we do with that that waste from sea? And that infrastructure is so vital, I suppose, in ports. At the end of the day, coming back in from a long trip is the last thing you're thinking about probably is is what to do with that sort of stuff. So having facilities there that are easy and accessible, that's the way it's going to get sort of integrated within the industry and, and sort of essentially part of the, the supply chain, as much as we're landing fish, if you bringing in plastics, waste at sea, it's where's the next supply chain for that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, um, you mentioned things like the fish and for litter scheme, excellent scheme, predominant focus, obviously, on recovery rather than recycling. We have worked with them on a kind of small scale um, with their reps on the ground. If they've had recyclable material come in, they've contacted us to sort of say, would you like to be able to take this? But they've kind of got the recovery side covered and they are overcoming one of those hurdles that what do you do if you're a fisherman, you recover gear what you're going to do when it comes in, i.e. just then creating a cost burden for yourself if you recovering somebody else's gear that's been lost before or just general post-consumer plastic waste that's floating around in the ocean. So they're removing the cost barriers when it comes to recovery and we're removing the cost barriers, I suppose, when it comes to recycling. So it's two things that can work hand in hand quite nicely, really. I suppose, in a way, through both those schemes, what we're trying to do is just provide the resources the fishing industry need to be able to be the sort of Best custodians, if you like, of the sea, and um, they're in the perfect position to do it. They have a vested interest in protecting the oceans, and it's a generational trade that's passed on and passed on. And they want to be protecting it for future generations as well. So it's completely in their interest. It's been a challenge getting to that point because part of the reason these schemes haven't really been operational before was because most of the fishing gear that we're recycling is actually been incredibly low value. So, um, Usually to run a recycling scheme, you need to be able to make profit somehow. And if you can't, it doesn't happen. And that's why these resources haven't been in place previously. We've come from a slightly different approach. I'm coming from a conservation background, and I can see the intrinsic value of recycling, you know, recycling for the sake of recycling providing that resource. That's the valuable bit. And then overcoming the cost burdens is just something we've got to kind of think outside the box on. So obviously things like the circular economy have an element in that, and you mentioned Morrison's before, they've been a sponsor of ours in the past. Um, I've had to self-finance at times as well when we haven't had sponsorship. We try and keep it as two separate sort of business models. So the actual net regeneration scheme, the recycling is um, kept in a way separate from the innovation, even though that is a key part in it. So to make that more sustainable, what I've ended up doing is working with lots of different potential stakeholders. The circular economy as a whole relies on a lot of collaboration. It's a lot of work. To sort of juggle all those kind of working relationships. But um, by bringing on board other partners that are also interested in potentially utilizing that waste in the future, we're able to create a more sustainable business model rather than just being purely reliant on our own innovation and just recycling one waste stream. We, we do have our own products we've been developing, like kayaks, surfing hand planes, we're doing some litter bins, grip bins, recycling bins, all these kind of things as well. But I didn't want the scheme to be 100% reliant on those. Different things being a success. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the really valuable part of what we do is this work within the fishing community. So I wouldn't want that to be reliant on me coming up with a new product and it not being successful. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. by sort of spreading the kind of risk in that way, it helps with the scheme being more sustainable. With the Welsh government, they've helped us sort of expand. So we're doing a, a 12-month pilot project, which was originally more looking at material flows, what waste. Is there out there? How can we get that into recycling routes? And what does that look like? I took the opportunity of actually using that to just go ahead and create those recycling routes. Um, It's the best way we can kind of prove that evidence, really, because uh, until you get up and running, it's very difficult to actually know what material we're getting through from harbours, because quite often there's a stockpile of waste. that's um, a sort of legacy that's been around for quite a long time. So until you've been working the harbour for several months and you're starting to get those regular material flows through that's when you get a true idea of how much waste is, is coming from the fishing sector and um obviously from then you can look at the various recycling routes to do that we have um, a partnership with Exeter City council in the mrf facility and we've got a site an area there on the site designated just for beach clean waste and fish and industry waste so everything goes in um we get all the data from the Weybridge as stuff goes in the well so we're starting to get some uh, nice data sets coming through, too, of what materials out there. Everything is separated out the, the drawers from the gill nets, from the ropes, from the rigid plastics. Because we also get quite a lot of rigids from the uh, fishing sector. And everything is then baled, which minimizes our transportation costs of forwarding it onto recyclers. And whatever we can recycle ourselves in house, we recycle as well. So we've got our own sort of shredders and granulators. For us, and another sort of important part of the service we offer is being to recycle as much as we possibly can from the fishing industry. To me, that's the only way you can really be sustainable when it comes to working with the fishing sector. Um, and it's the same way your normal recycling works. So your household waste recycling, they're going to be taking everything that's recycled, that they can get into recycling routes viably from you. Some things they're going to be losing money on, so the glass has zero value, the aluminium, they're going to have a much, much higher value, the plastic somewhere in between. And overall, they're trying to create something that, stacks up financially. Um, We're trying to replicate that model really with the fishing sector. Some things we will lose money on, some things we can make a little bit of money on, and we're trying to create a scheme which overall will break even. And then where we need the assistance really is outreach into new regions to put infrastructure in place. Also, sort of transportation costs for more remote locations. So at the moment, our predominant work is in and around the Southwest, and we can do collections and recycle for free anywhere in that sort of region. Um, but we are engaging with other partners now around the uk we've recently rolled out a scheme right the way up through the coast of wales um, we're in talks in ireland scotland um lowest off and other sort of regions to pull in the waste from there but we're just looking at the right partners to come on board that are happy to cover some of those logistical costs of getting them to to us we can take the waste for free basically but obviously if you're bringing stuff down from some of our pool it's going to be quite expensive transportation wise so it's it's looking at partners to cover those costs which is where um sponsorship can come in you know seafood producers supermarkets etc if they like the idea of having the name associated with a scheme like this we have the ability now and the expertise to pull off a nationwide recycling scheme it's just really having assistance cover some of those
1: costs um yeah good. there's a really good good insight there thanks rob Uh, and i guess that kind of leads us into that that last point i just wanted to highlight that again really I, i know you know financing of, of all these types of projects is is going to be the biggest barrier and sustaining that finance I suppose like you say it's the, it seems like there is a solution here or, or you are definitely providing a solution already and then scaling that up is is the way to hopefully sort of solve this a bit more across across the piece in terms of the uk fishing industry and I suppose like you say with morrison's Welsh government backing things like this this type of initiative, what do you reckon? Is, is is there a scope there for the rest of the supply chain, whether it's gear manufacturers, right, you know, from the very early part of of, of fishing gear or plastics within the industry, right through to then the retailers, the the seafood brands, and everybody in between? Is there a way of kind of picking up picking up the cost collectively, sharing the responsibility there to to get to a point where we are providing this sort of circular approach to to waste within the fishing industry or, or plastic waste? shall I say.
0: Yeah, I do believe there is. Um... To be honest, the biggest challenge is these things take time to implement. So we have had to do quite a lot of thinking about how to financially um, make this stable long term. And we've been involved in consultations and a sort of EU level around things like extended producer responsibility schemes, which uh, on one side make a lot of sense. If, um, if you're a producer making something that is recyclable, but isn't being recycled because of the cost barriers, then that cost theoretically should fall back onto a manufacturer. Um but it's incredibly challenging to figure out what that looks like. And that, that's pretty much what the discussions were, is how much does it even cost to recycle a ton of nets and to be able to pass that cost on to whoever the producer was. Um, so without all the challenges aside of actually figuring out who, who, what the producers, who they would be and what that would look like as a sort of model-wise, considering materials being made all over Europe and being assembled in the UK, that's a challenge in itself. But just figuring out that sort of baseline cost varies massively. It depends if we're working in a tiny little fishing harbour like um Lou, Polpero. Uh, it's much more sustainable to recycling from like New Lynn or Brixham where we can get large volumes than it is the small harbours, because it obviously it's working on economies of scale. It's much more expensive to recycle from the small guys. But saying that it doesn't, that's not a justified reason for me not to do it. I want to be I'll be able to offer the recycling facility to everyone that's potentially interested in recycling. And it's usually the sort of smaller harbours that see the real benefit from it. They, they can see the financial benefits of not sending stuff to landfill a lot. <laughs> it has a lot more significance to them saving a few hundred pounds here or there on a skip than what it does some of the, the larger harbours. You know, they've got much smaller budgets. So impact-wise, it has a much greater impact for those guys as well. So um, we try and recycle from whoever's interested, basically, and find ways of doing it. It's just um, trying to then use that as data to inform something like an EPR scheme is a bit challenging. It's one of the obstacles. And then, again, you're into sort of draft legislation. It's something which is going to take a long time to come into effect. So um it's something which long-term could be beneficial, but isn't going to happen anytime soon. And that's been our experience as a whole, really, when it comes to trying to get backing, when it comes from um even government in different government departments is we're still, as a country, very much in the, well, not even just as a country, and this is a global issue, it's still globally, everyone is still very much in the data gathering stage. And we've kind of jumped ahead a little bit and sort of gone into the implementation stage. So the right mechanisms aren't necessarily there to support us yet. In the meantime, we're very much reliant on trying to keep our costs as low as possible. That's what's making our scheme Because At times it has been self-funded, so the costs have had to be minimal. And looking at what other sectors could benefit from this, you know, is uh, um, seafood producers, supermarkets, et cetera, that would like to be associated with such a scheme and would be willing to sort of help us out until we can find those kind of longer term solutions. Um, because it does definitely have a sort of added benefit when it comes through to the consumers, because they're so much more aware now of these issues. and. Being able to um, have something in place where the fishermen can be sort of proud of what they're doing and be able to sort of really show their best practice within the fishing sector, I think
1: is really valuable for regaining uh, consumer confidence. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. That's that's a really good point you make at the end there. And that's something that, like you say, seafood retailers can sort of shout about and champion on behalf of the fishing industry as much as the industry then can get on the back of that as well and sort of promote where it's working well and, and meeting these targets or working towards. Um, a much more sustainable or circular approach with with plastics within the industry. Just sort of going off piste a little bit but I know you said you, you do some work obviously research with Plymouth University as well as mm-hmm. part of this work or part of this project and obviously what we're talking about at the moment is in terms of dealing with either end-of-life gear or, or plastic waste within the, in the industry but do you think can we get, make an earlier intervention in terms of just thinking more circular when we deal with gear manufacturers or design efficient gear in the first place? Something that we know we're going to recycle eventually is there a way of designing it in a way that makes it easier or i know we deal with lots of you know fishing gear that's heavily contaminated when it's sea is there something in there at that early point that innovation gets applied much earlier on in this process to to help smooth smooth this out in the, in the long term i
0: think so um it's discussions that's been happening a lot with Plymouth University and a lot with my work with the Global Ghost Gear Initiative. And the Global Ghost Gear Initiative hasn't been so much around gear redesign. It's been more around traceability. So looking at sort of tracking systems for nets, how fishermen better recover them, you know, pingers, these kind of things. My work with the university has been on a few different things. One of the key ones has been on the circular economy front is around the sort of life cycle analysis. So looking at the impacts of what we're doing, looking at all the recycling routes, looking at um, how we can sort of optimize and become more efficient when it comes to like, things like co2 reduction and you do simple things like reverse logistics so we're sending lorries around the place make sure it isn't going in one direction empty that <laughs> kind of thing simple impacts like that um, reducing volume of waste so we're not transporting around as much air we're also then on the other sort of side through our, our partnership with Plymouth university in the indigo project the indigo project is a cross-channel collaboration an interreg funded one Um, looking at gear design and sustainability within the fishing sector. So that ranges from everything from the material flow data that we're getting from the harbours, so we're looking at what kind of um, volumes of waste we can get, that uh, we can bring through, um, through to um, gear redesign and the obstacles. So we've learned through some of the work we did with um, sea fish and um, they pulled together a report on sort of the, the cost uh, analysis of dismantling nets. They so basically spent some time dismantling trawl nets and looked at all the various components and the values of those different components and where they could be recycled. So you can kind of figure out where the cost barriers are. It does vary massively. So recycling a gill net is relatively straightforward because fishermen are quite often stripping out the, the net element and reusing the um, float and the lead line. So they're naturally segregating for us anyway. So it's relatively straightforward. When it comes to a trawl net, they don't necessarily have the incentive to do that. So dismantling a trawl net it takes a lot more sort of input to begin with, um, without necessarily the raw Part of the work we've been doing is looking at the nets and what could potentially be done. Is there a way to make them more dismantle at the end of life? Is there material improvements that can be done? And part of the work from some of the French partners is um, they're working on sort of biomaterials, selecting it potentially creating a biodegradable gill net. What would that look like? How long would it take to degrade? Is it still gonna be functioning as well as a normal gill gillnet? Um, and what kind of recycling routes can we create for that? So there's quite a lot of work going on in the background to create that kind of longer term sustainability with the sort of recycling and gear
1: use in mind. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, great to know that that sort of research is going on or that sort of you know early sort of thinking is, is happening at the moment.
0: Yeah, definitely. There is a lot of work happening in the background. It requires a lot of collaboration. It does require, uh, in my opinion, quite a lot of sort of hands-on trial and error work as well, uh, because you can theoretically model things as much as you like, but until you sort of get on the ground and start working with the fish community and physically seeing the obstacles that are there, that's when you can really start developing models that are going to sort of work outside of just the theoretical um, modelling. But yeah, on the positive side, there is... lot of enthusiasm to make this work you know from the fishing sector especially you know they want to be able to be doing the right things they are doing the right things everyone that we're engaged with is incredibly positive about the scheme and are proud of them to sort of take part in it and we have regular outreach from the fishing community um nationwide that want to have this scheme in place and want to sort of expand into their regions if anything the biggest challenge is how do i do that at times and finance it and if we can overcome those sort of challenges, that would be key in it. Um, but also, yeah, from a, a sort of academic background, we have a lot of consultants sort of come through to us looking, at, again, at this work around material flows with fishing gear and the circular economy. We're quite heavily involved in that, and um, obviously heavily involved with Plymouth University and their work around marine plastic as a whole and circularity. Um, so there is a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of drive out there. It's just, it just takes a lot of collaboration and a lot of trial and error to create something viable
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i can totally appreciate that yeah yeah it's a big challenge a huge challenge like you say and certainly not just uh something local it's global so and and it's never ending and it feels like it's so urgent like the pressure's on constantly isn't it around this theme and subject and and naturally and rightly so it's sort of putting a proper system in place like you say it's getting that supply chain there that makes sure it's actually viable and what you're setting up is is for the long term not just a, a quick fix so
0: I mean, what's key for us, I mean, it is,
1: it is a complex issue. There's a lot of stuff that has to go on the background to make it
0: long-term sustainable. But actually, on the ground, whatever we put in place is going to be very simple. And the end of the day, the fishermen have jobs to do, and they're out there, and they're working incredibly hard in very hazardous environments, and it's not going to be the first thing on their mind. So from an engagement point of view, whatever scheme we put in place, it's got to be very easy to be a part of. It's got to be free. Uh, there has to be that kind of incentive involved in it, in my opinion. And that's something we've been very focused on finding a way to to sort of make it free to the fishing industry. But yeah, I mean, basically, we have a very simple system. Uh, we have a whole range of materials that we can recycle and a sort of, we'll give a kind of documentation to sort of say what can be recycled and this kind of standard that we expect the material to be presented in. We either provide skips or dumpy bags in harbours and do regular collections, and it's kept literally as simple as that on the ground. So it's got to be something which can just be built into the daily routine of a fisherman without creating much more of a sort of time burden.
1: Fathom was brought to you by the Cornish Fish Producers' Organisation and funded by the Seafarers' Charity.